This is episode number 118 with Craig Williams. Man, I mean, I know I've heard people say before, I'm not really a runner, you know, whenever I did such and such, but I don't know, that takes it to a new level to do that and say that you're not a runner. I think you maybe, I think maybe you're more of a runner than you think. New concepts and ideas to help you reach your full potential. Success 101 Podcast. Welcome to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren. In each episode, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea to help you maximize your full potential. Thanks for joining me here today. Now let's kick things off. Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren, and I'm so excited to have you here with me today and so fortunate to have our guest, Craig Williams, join us. And what you're going to hear is an incredible story of life turnaround, mindset, determination, and just an overall awesome journey that Craig has been on. He started out earlier in life in the Royal Marines, suffered a very severe episode of PTSD, that led him on a complete downward spiral. And as you'll hear today in the episode, he even found himself homeless and almost ended his own life as well. And through just a fortunate turn of events, was able to pick himself back up, turn in the right direction, and eventually at some point got on this run, the Marathon de Sables that you're going to hear about today, which is just an incredible run, 122 degrees Fahrenheit temperatures over several days, And it's just amazing what he went through and what he learned on that journey about growth and positive change and mindset shift, uh, which even led to his book that will be coming out soon called Running Light. I look forward to getting my hands on that as well. It's going to highlight some about the race and some about life challenges and how we can all grow from that. And listen toward the end of the podcast. He's going to mention for the Success 101 podcast listeners, there's some bonus material that he's going to throw in as well. So without any further delay, let's cut to my conversation with Craig Williams. Hey, Craig, good afternoon and welcome to the Success 101 podcast. How are things over in the UK? They're pretty good. We're getting in for the summer now, so things are brining up. The sunshine's out, always makes things uh bit more enjoyable. I've got a huge house move over the next couple of days. And really, you know, a lot of people that sort of knocks people on their backside a little bit. It gets a little bit stressful. For me, it's new opportunity and it's growth and it's really exciting. (laughs) Yeah. New opportunities are great. I don't know that I would wish uh, moving on my worst enemy, but you know, the new opportunity is great and hopefully the new location is good as well. So I want to go ahead and dive on in with you. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've got some very unique facets of your life from being in the Royal Marines for a period of years, having to break away from that, and then going on this run that I am so excited for the listeners to hear about because I cannot imagine the mindset that it took you to get through this. And, uh, you know, offline, I know you said that you're not really a runner, and I think the listeners might disagree with what you had to go through, and uh, and I'm really excited here. So you're going through, running through the Sahara Desert, 122 degrees. I know that's Fahrenheit calculation for us over here. Um, 
Take us back even further than that, though, back to uh, some of the things we were discussing offline before the recording started, just so the listeners have a glimpse of where you came from on this journey you're on. And then let's hear more about that race. That's pretty fascinating. Okay. Yeah. So like you said, uh, I spent the, you know, large proportion of my adult life in the Royal Marines. I left school. Um, I played a, a little bit of rugby league, which is, I suppose it's a little bit like American football, but, you know, without a helmet and few more complicated rules, but I played that for a bit. I was never really quick enough to make to make it as a pro. So you're basically saying you guys are a lot tougher, I guess. <laughs> well, I'll just leave it that as a suggestion and, you know, people can make their own minds up there. But basically, I was never going to make it. I wasn't fast enough. I was too small. Um, so I decided I was going to go and join the Marines. The, the, the thing that drew me to the Marines really was somebody said that it was the toughest military training that I could do in the Western world. And I was like, OK, well, I'll, I'll give that a go. And um I went down there and I thought, you know, I definitely wasn't physically ready. There's a bit of a trend going to emerge here, but I wasn't ready for it. But I managed to get myself through it. And I spent 15 years in the Royal Marines and absolutely loved it. I didn't see myself doing anything else other than being being a soldier. And uh, I was fortunate enough to see service in Afghanistan, Iraq, Sierra Leone, um, Kosovo, all, all over the world. But it took its toll. It, it really did take its toll on me, on me mentally. And I, I left the Marines suffering with, with symptoms of PTSD. So I, I was struggling even to live. I couldn't hold down a job. I, I couldn't even find a job, to be honest. And I was living homeless in the back of a van on a campsite in the UK, um, penniless, hopeless, no real career prospects because there wasn't much call for snipers in Civilian Street. So th things were getting pretty tough. I was having a little bit of counselling at that time. Uh, and the, the real low point was I was driving down one of the main roads in the UK and I literally just wanted to drive into the oncoming traffic. And I, I managed to stop myself for two reasons. First of all, I've got two young sons and I couldn't leave them without a father. And the second was I didn't want to spoil the day of the person driving the other direction. And they're the only two reasons why I didn't sort of end it that day. I managed to limp myself onto the side of the road and I put the Samaritan's phone number into my mobile phone because I knew I was, I was pretty low at that time. And funny old thing, I didn't have a mobile signal. And it was it felt like there was a, it was a signal from, you know, up above that this this should be it. But I, I managed to sort of get a grip of myself. And over the period of about 30 minutes, I kind of taught myself around. And at that point there, I knew that I had to start to rebuild my life and I had to move up. I, I knew I couldn't go any lower. And I had to, you know, I, I, I had to make a choice from, from that point there to change things. I basically started at a tiny little personal training business as a freelance personal trainer. And um, I started studying marketing, doing a bit of mindset work. Um, I really engaged with my counsellor and really started talking about some of the things that I went through when I, was in, when I was in the military. And life just started getting better. My personal training business has evolved into a residential uh, fitness camp, uh, like a, a boot camp. It's doing incredibly well. We're, we're growing. We've got new premises now. So, you know, that's doing incredibly well. And as part of my journey, really, from pretty much rock bottom, I just had this desire to truly test myself and to do, you know, to be the best version of myself. And, um, and this race came on my horizon. And it's not your average race. In fact, I know now that uh, th this was the race that coined the phrase the ultramarathon. In essence, just some of the, in summary, what it is, is it's over 250 kilometers, um, which is 156 miles, which you do in six stages over seven days. One of the stages includes a long stage, which is this year was about 82 kilometers, about 52 miles, nonstop running through the desert. You've got to do it self-sufficient with 
your water and your food on your back. Um, you're sleeping out in the desert in a small sort of dusty, dusty tent in temperatures of about 50 degrees centigrade. And that's it, you know, and, and pretty much away you go. So I did this in April. Since April, uh, and like I said, I never really classed myself as a runner. And I've never really cast myself as a as a writer either. But since then, I've I've sort of set a new goal of um, of capturing everything that I did to prepare for this race psychologically in a book. So that led me to you know to seeking out opportunities for for getting this message out there. I have a real belief that that two people take or people take two types of bag into the Sahara with them. They take their physical bag, which has got their food in it, it's got their water in it, it's got their kit to last them for for seven days. And that's the bag that everybody really, really focuses on. Now, I also believe that there's another bag, a metaphorical bag, which has got your psychological, you know, self-imposed pressures, all the worries, um, you know, your, your other things that really start to grow, little seedlings in your mind and can really put you in a negative state. And that's a bag in which very few people in the race spend a lot of time working on. So that's what I kind of, you know, want to focus on in this podcast, really. So, Craig, I know that, uh, you know, obviously extremely tough race, harder than what most of us are going to face out there in the, you know, in the tough things that we go through. I know you had heat exhaustion, you had extracted toenails, you vomited blood, you were hallucinating. What, I mean, what kept you going in this race? I mean, I, most people would have said, I'm done, especially with very little, uh, you know, especially if they think that they're a, uh, they don't think that they're a runner. What do you think kept you going as you're going back and writing down the mindset preparation that you went through? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a few things that kept me going. The biggest thing is obviously self-talk, you know, the things that you say to yourself in private that no one else can hear. And I, I believe that's the real big hitter. You know, that's the thing that either keeps you going or gets you to throw the towel in. So, so self-talk was incredibly important. I'll talk about that in a little while. But before that, I also knew that deep down, us as, as human beings, the human race, are just incredible at dissipating heat. We're incredible at covering large distances. Our bodies are designed to run. So I knew deep down, this is what we were designed to do. Now, you know, I might not have done as much as I would have done if I was a caveman or something like that, but I knew that I had all the biomechanics to do this. We were designed to do this. And before I went, about three weeks before the race started, I went out for a 20 mile run and I actually had to get my wife to come and pick me up. because I just was, you know, physically not ready at all. Uh, but at that point, then I thought, right, well, I can't do anything physically, you know, to, to prepare for this in three weeks, really. But what I can do is I can really start working on injury prevention, perhaps a bit of recovery, work on my flexibility a little bit and really work on my mindset. And that's kind of what got me through. Um, so if I talk a little bit about the self-talk, things that I said to myself all the time, I used the word but a hell of a lot. So the word but, if you know, is, is a really special word in the human language because what it does is it cancels everything out that you say before it. And it's the classic, I'm sorry, darling, but, you know, the sorry doesn't really exist because the word but has cancelled that out. So I used that a lot in the desert. So I would say, you know, I, I hate these sand dunes, you know, and as you're walking up the sand dunes, you're slipping back a couple of steps and, you know, some of them are, are, are really quite steep. But I would say I hate these sand dunes, but at least it's not rocky. So it cancels out the fact that I hated the sand dunes. So the self-talk just got a lot more positive. And I kind of worked my, my way through the day doing those things. I also used what is a, an NLP technique, which is called a, a double bind, um, which just to explain a double bind, it's when, you're, when your children, you know, you're trying to get your children to bed and you say, right, do you want to go in the commercial break um, 
you know, are you, are you ready to go to bed now or whatever? And they say, well, no, I don't, I'm not really ready for bed. Um, one way to, to get them to go to bed is you give them the double bind. So you say, right, do you want to go to bed now or do you want to go to bed in 10 minutes in the commercial break? And they will go for the 10 minutes in the commercial break. What you've done is you've removed the option that they're not going to go to bed, if that makes sense. So for me, I, I kind of use double binds and I would say this doesn't have to be fast, but if I want to meddle, it's just got to be done. You know, the fact that I wasn't going to complete the whole of the route never, I didn't allow it to enter in my mind. And I know lots of people spent a lot of time in the middle of the desert saying, oh, no, we've got another another sand dune to get up. We've got a big salt flat to, to get across. And this is going to be really tough. And, and I just didn't allow those things to, you know, in my mind. Other things that I refused, I mean, I was in a, a great deal of pain at times, but I refused to acknowledge it as pain. I, I wouldn't use the word pain. I'd use the word noise because that's what that's what I sort of saw my body as doing. It's just producing noise to tell me that I'm running the risk of injury or that I'm getting tired or that I'm suffering from heat illness or, or whatever. And I just sort of called it noise. I didn't accept it as pain. And another thing that I, that I sort of worked on before I got out there was the use of negatives because the human mind will not not process a, a negative. So if we say, I don't want to struggle in the sand dunes, in our mind, the way we process that is we actually process it as I want to struggle in the sand dunes. And then sure enough, when they get out in the race, they find themselves struggling in the sand dunes. So, you know, I would use um, a lot of the language there just to keep me going. And another thing that I do, there, there was two little stories or metaphors that I, um, that I would say over and over in my mind. I mean, I, when I went, I didn't, I didn't take like a, an MP3 player or, or anything like that, really. I just wanted to be left with my own thoughts because this was a big part of my recovery from, from PTSD and all, and all this kind of stuff. So I, I wanted time to sort of process things. And I, I kept telling myself two stories. The first story was, and I don't know if any of your listeners has ever done this, but if you wade a Jeep through a river, you know, so you take a, a Jeep through a river or a Humvee or whatever, um, it's really important that you stay with the bow wave. So the wave of, of water that's, that's up on the front of the vehicle, it's really important that you stay with that because you go too fast and the water is going to drown your vehicle and you'll get stuck in the, in the river. And if you go too slow, the water will catch up with you and again, it will drown your vehicle. So you've got to stay with the bow wave. And I constantly told myself to stay with the bow wave too fast and I was going to run out of, of water. I was going to suffer with heat illness and heat exhaustion. I was probably going to start running the risk of, of injury because I was, you know, I, I wasn't physically ready for this race, really. And then too slow, and I would have been out in the sands way too long, again, exposed to the heat, too much time on my, on my feet. I didn't have enough food or enough water to stay out there. And I just kind of played it smart by telling myself to stay with the bow wave. And I would see people all the time, so kind of, I would call it, you know, getting way too far ahead of the bow wave. They would sprint off, they'd get to one of the checkpoints, and they'd have to spend perhaps an hour there just drinking more water, trying to cool down instead of just sort of staying at that right um, speed all the way through the through the desert. And actually, despite extracting toenails, hallucinating, vomiting blood, I actually believed that the desert had played right into my hands. I, I believed that I was, you know, I was on track and I was doing fine and everything was going to be great. And then the other story that I that I kept telling myself was um, was one that my, my granddad, who was a farmer in the hills in the UK, in a county called Yorkshire, and he used to tell me a story about two cows. So two cows was in a field, two bulls rather, and the young bull would said to the granddad bull, you know, granddad, look at all those cows over there in that field. Let's run up the hill and let's, you know, let's mate with all these cows. And the granddad, the wise old cow said, no, let's walk up and let's mate with them all. 
you know? So I kind of would, would tell that story to myself all the time just to encourage myself not to get too carried away with what's going on. You know, there was other runners there that were just far fitter, far faster. You know, they seemed to be effortlessly over the sand. And that just wasn't me. I had to run my own individual race. And I think that was key to, to actually, you know, doing as well as I did. When people talk about athletic performance and all this kind of stuff, you know, what we're actually trying to do here is, is nothing new to our body. Um, our bodies were designed to do all these things and to function all these ways and, uh, and to handle stress, you know, and get fit and run and run big distances and all this kind of stuff. Now, what I learned in the preparation for the Marathon Disciples was that we used to think that we were hunter-gatherers and, and a large proportion of uh, of the sort of scientific fraternity still believe that, but there's lots and lots of research coming out now, lots of evidence to suggest that actually we were persistent hunters. So we would basically run prey into the ground. So because we are so good at dissipating heat, you know, from our, our breath, our, our heads and all this kind of stuff, um, we, we could just run for miles and miles and miles. And uh, to the point where other animals would have to stop They'd have to pant to get rid of heat and then I was, we would catch up with them, you know, and that, that'd that be it. And actually, one of the really interesting things is it, it wasn't really the men that did that. It was the women um, that would do the persistent hunting. And, and kind of the, where that thinking has come from is in ultra running, there's a very strange thing happen around the 100 mile mark. So before the 100 mile mark, men will tend to beat women. At the 100 mile mark, women start to take over and they start to take the lead and leave leave men in the distance. So why, why am I kind of saying this? Well, I, I think it's just really important because even, you know, I always have encourage people when I do talks about the race and, and about my journey, I always encourage people to really think about what their version of the MDS, MDS is. So the MDS is the Marathon de Sables, the, the race that I'm talking about. And I kind of encourage people to look for those challenges and to work, you know, to find something that is their version of the MDS because I had to run my version of it. I couldn't sprint off. I wasn't an elite runner. And, um, and, I, and I certainly wasn't going to stay out there and, and walk it because I just didn't have enough water and food and everything. I had to run my version. And that was, that was so important in being successful in the race. And it's exactly the same when you think about business or you think about life in general. You know, quite often we, we set out these ideas that, you know, of the ideal. You know, this is how perhaps, you know, Steve Jobs did it. So that's, I should model myself on him and that's how I should do it. And, and that's fine. It's good to have people to model on. But you can't, you know, it's no good measuring your progress against Steve Jobs because you're not there. You know, you've kind of got to look back at the distance that you've come and, and you can measure your progress there and use that to motivate yourself. Um, so I kind of, you know, encourage everybody just to really think about what their version of the MDS is. Because even in business, when we get stressed and, you know, we just get overwhelmed with stuff, even a big challenge like this can be incredibly powerful. Since I've come back from the race, my... Me, my effectiveness has just gone up. I'm doing more work. I'm more efficient. I've, you know, I can handle more pressure. I'm less stressed. My marriage is better. You know, my business is growing well. And I, I really believe that it's been a great little reset button because basically I just had one aim to concentrate on for a week. And it was quite, you know, it's quite a tough, challenging aim. Um, but it was just get, a, get across the Sahara and pretty much stay alive, you know. But, uh, and it came back completely refreshed and ready to go with a whole new outlook on life you know when you kind of think things are, are pretty tough when you're in the office and you've got all these self-imposed pressures we kind of think well you know what at least i'm not extracting my toenails today and i'm not <laughs> not vomiting blood you know at least I, i've not got to sort of find some shelter somewhere because i'm suffering with heat illness you know it's never quite as bad as we seem as things seem so craig i know that 
vomiting blood and toenail extraction and heat exhaustion and, and heat illness, all of that is, uh, you know, all of that. How do you pick one worse, you know, one worse thing or the other over that? Can you take us through a moment during the race, if you can think back to one that you might define as the hardest moment, and maybe it was self-talk, maybe it was, you know, the different uh, avenues, the, the mindfulness that you talked about earlier in the mindset. Tell us about the toughest part of the race for you of all of that, if you have a pinnacle, you know, tough part and and how you really got through that. Was it some of those things or was it something a little bit more even, you know, exerting that you had to do? No, and it's really strange. And it, it's a great analogy for, for business and, and for anything, really. I believe there's two types of people in the world. There's great starters and great finishers. There's very few people that are great at both. Um, so two real times that I thought, whoa, you know, this is getting pretty serious. The first leg, getting started. I got way too carried away with the event. I went way too fast out of the, off the starting line. The first leg was about nine kilometers of, of sand dunes, just rolling sand dunes. In fact, if anybody's seen the new Star Wars film, The Desert there, that, that's exactly where uh, the run was with the big sand dunes and everything in Star Wars. Um, so he was running over the sand dunes and everything. I got to checkpoint one and I had to go straight to the medic's tent and um, straight into the medic's tent, suffering with heat illness. You know, I'd been in the desert before in Iraq and Afghanistan and I, I knew the symptoms of heat illness and, and I had it. I got in the tent and basically the medics wanted to put a drip in me and I was like, you get a time penalty if you get any kind of medical attention. And I didn't want the time penalty. So I was fighting the medics off and, um, and I just knew that I needed to take stock, take some water on. But basically, Grandfather Sahara just gave me a big slapper on the backside and said, listen here, you petulant little child, you need to respect me, you know. So the first point was the, was the start. And that was the point in which I kind of knew where I wanted to be. And I thought I knew I was going to get there. But at that point then, I, having had a big taste of what the desert was going to be, I had to make some adjustments. And I think that's really important in life and in, in business. One of the, my very early mentors, when he first started personal training, he said kind of, you know, know where you want to be, but be prepared to go sort of left or right in order to get there. You know, it's never quite the straight run that you think it is. So that was a, a real low point. Um, and it's the point in which I had to readjust my mindset. I made a few decisions there, like, you know, with the basic, the couple of rules changed. So I knew I wasn't going to try and run uphill anymore. I knew that I wasn't going to try and run on sand anymore because I, I just didn't have the energy to do it and the, and the physical ability to do it. The next real tough point well, the, the rest of the rest of the race, there, I mean, there was tough points along the race, but I kind of, I knew how to handle stuff. What I'd done before I got there is I'd done like a little three-step mindset technique, really, where I thought about, you know, what I could expect. One thing I could expect was obviously suffering with heat illness. And then I thought about, you know, how would that look and how would it feel? So I wanted to signpost it in, post it in my mind. Um, so I, I actually, you know, thought about it. Well, I'm going to, you know, perhaps maybe even stop sweating. I'm going to start getting confused, a little bit dizzy. My performance is going to drop, my appetite is going to go, I'm going to need water, but I'm not necessarily going to want to drink water, you know, all these kind of things. So I signposted it in my mind, but then I took it a step further and I said, right, so then what, what happens then? And I kind of said, okay, what, what happens then is when I'm thinking now in my rational state, I'm going to find some shade, I'm going to get some water on board, I'm just going to have a little bit of food, I'm not going to worry about people running past me or beating me in the race and all this kind of stuff, because it's imperative, I sort myself out before I then try and crack on. So I, I'd done a lot of that from, you know, for, for lots of different stuff from, you know, what's it going to be like when I get to a big sand dune? What's it going to be like when, you know, when I, when um, I, I run out of food or, or my feet start to really suffer and I get blisters and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's something that we, you know, we don't often do in sort of business life and, and, and our normal everyday lifestyle is that 
we kind of, you know, we, we dwell on on the as things as they're going wrong. And we never sort of signpost it in a, when we're thinking rationally. What happens then? So, for example, you know, we spoke briefly before we come online and you said, like, I was overwhelmed and this is one of the big reasons, the big driving force behind Success 101. And, um, you know, I, I was heading for, for an early, early grave. And I think if we sort of know what the symptoms of being stressed and, and piling all the pressure on are, and then whilst we're thinking rationally, think of, you know, what would come next, it can help us quite a bit because an irrational thought can be up to 21 times more powerful than a rational thought. You know, and we don't often think clear thoughts when we're actually in it. I, I've heard a saying once, I don't know who it's from, so I can't really quote them or, or credit them for it. But it's the saying was, you know, you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great it's a, it's a great analogy to think about. You know, when you're when you're stuck in it and you're, you, you, all the pressure's piling on. And, you know, for, for me, that the sun was beating down onto my head. You know, I was getting sunburn on my arms. I was having to pull toenails out. When I'm in the frame, I couldn't really see the picture. But someone's just sort of stepped, you know, with the ability to step back a little bit, they can kind of say, look, you know, you've got to get up this sand dune. Then you've got shade down there. You can sort yourself out and then you'll be off. You'll be fine. Um, the final time when I really thought things were getting tough was actually on the last stage. Now, the last stage is what they call the charity stage. So it's not a timed, it's not, it doesn't form part of the actual race. Um, they just do it as like, you, you basically walk out of the desert to get, to get on the coach and then off you go. Um, but it was 17 kilometers to, to, get out, to get out of the desert. And I think I was suffering with what they call summit syndrome in mountaineering. And summit syndrome is, you know, lots of people concentrating on getting to the top and then kind of forget that they've got the same amount of work, if not more, to get down. So for me, what happened was I, I almost got to the finish line and then all these chemicals and things that my body had produced to turn off the noise. Remember, I, I wouldn't allow it to be pain. I, to, to turn off this noise, all those things, you know, stop. I stopped producing them. You know, I, I took my mind off things, you know, and, and that last stage was the most painful stage of the whole race. And, and, you know, interestingly, they say that more people die on the way down from Everest than they do on the way up. And a big contributing factor to that is, is obviously this summit syndrome. Man, that what an incredible story. I love that part as I'm taking notes here about, uh, you know, maybe I've heard some version of that before, but it didn't resonate with me like yours just did about when you're in the frame, you can't see the picture. I mean, that is such a, I mean, that's just so so simple yet so fascinating when it comes to our life. There's so many times in business or in life in uh, just different things that I've done that I thought, man, I wish, I really wish I'd had more fun doing that. I was always so worried about the next thing or the next, you know, the thrill of the chase, especially for us as guys in business or accomplishment or sports or things like that. It's the thrill of the chase. And many times you miss the gratitude and the positive mindset and the mindfulness along the way of just getting to see the picture, getting to see what's unfolding or just, as you mentioned, just the stress that's coming down on you. If you can just see over the horizon and see that everything's going to be just fine, uh, or at least not as bad as you think it's going to be, it's that example of being in the frame and not being able to see the picture. So thank you so much for that. That is, that's a huge takeaway for me personally. I mean, you know, what you're saying about the, about the, about the horizon, you know, quite often we, we really concentrate on the horizon. Um, but as we sort of move towards the horizon, it just keeps getting further and further away. And, um, and it tends to put, put us in what, what they call the gap. You know, we, we're stuck in the gap. We, we don't always see the progress that they're making in business as well as, you know, other aspects of your life. You know, I think it's really important that we kind of just take time to look back, you know, look back at, at where we've come from. Like for me, you know, I've got a long way to go with my own business goals and my own life goals and everything. But 
from where I am now to where I was homeless, penniless, hopeless, it, it's just really, really humble and, and really grateful for everyone that's um, sort of helped me along the way. It's been an amazing journey. Well, Craig, thank you so much for taking time to spend, uh, you know, the opportunity to share your story here on the Success 101 podcast. I know so many are going to get great things out of this. And how can we steer more people your way? I know there's a YouTube video of you that I had a, a chance to, to watch of you out there running in the desert, uh, just a short video of you you know, uh, journaling the run basically through video. Is there anywhere else I can send my listeners to where they can find out more about you? Yes. Like I said, I, I'm releasing a book. Uh, the book is called Running Light. So the idea is that instead of running heavy with all the worries and, and strains on there, and it's, it, it is very much about running. And um, But there's a lot that, that anybody in business and in life can take from the lessons that I've written the book. It's, it's not released yet, but they can pre-order that and they can download the first chapter um, at runninglightbook.com. Um, so they can just go over there and if they put a, a message in that they've come across it from, from your from your podcast then I'll, I'll throw a couple of little cheeky bonuses in there as well for them so yeah that's that's the best thing really and from that website there's links to a, you know a Facebook group and, and that kind of stuff so I'd just be really really keen I mean you know I went through a lot of your episodes before before we recorded this and uh, you know I'm, I'm going to be a subscriber to your podcast so even if, if people do interviews for you in the future or leave comments on your on your iTunes channel and all that kind of stuff, then that'd be great to be great to get a bit of feedback. Oh great. Awesome. Well thank you so much, Craig. I appreciate your time and uh we're thankful to have you here and uh we wish you the best. Yep, thank you very much. Okay, take care buddy. Take care. What an awesome conversation with Craig Williams. I took so much away from that and I hope you guys did too. And I hope you keep sending in your comments and encouragement to me. That's what keeps me going and makes this thing so much fun. If you want to connect directly with me, you can do so at my email address. That is thesuccess101podcast at gmail.com. And soon, within the next week, I should have my fully scale website up where you will find all of the show notes, all of the episodes, and even a blog section that's going to highlight some of the podcast episodes and some of the material in those episodes. And I am so excited to get that out to you guys. If you want to connect with me in the world of social media, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash success101podcast, on Twitter at Warren Jared, on Snapchat at Jared S. Warren, and on Instagram at Jared underscore Warren. Thanks so much again, Craig, for joining us today. And for all of you listeners out there, I'll see you again on another episode of the Success 101 Podcast. Until then. <laughs>